Coming up this evening on NTD Business. More pain at the grocery store. Egg prices are soaring as the avian flu forces farmers to kill millions of hens. Russia is lowering its interest rate by three percentage point, a sign its economic policies may be having an effect. And Shanghai facing a food dilemma amid the lockdown. Even Chinese billionaires are struggling. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. Food prices across the world rose at their fastest pace in record in March. The UN Food and Agriculture Organization says its food price index made a, quote, giant leap last month, rising 13% to an all-time high. Basic essentials like vegetable oil, cereals and meat prices all hit record highs. The agency says the war in Ukraine is the main factor driving up grain prices, including corn and wheat. And with the war still raging, the country's main Black Sea ports have been blocked off. This has led to difficulties exporting grain and other goods. Aid agencies warn that disruption to Ukraine's food exports means some heavily reliant countries like Egypt and Turkey have to find alternative supplies or face food shortages. Another virus is rearing its ugly head, killing egg-laying hens. The CDC says that the avian flu poses a low threat to humans, but the effect, however, can be seen on your grocery bill. The highly contagious flu has forced farmers to kill millions of hens, reducing the country's egg supply and driving up prices. On Thursday, Midwest retailers paid more than double the price for large eggs, and analysts say things keep going how they are. We could expect higher prices this summer. Did you know you can make almost 100 k per year working as a truck driver for Walmart? The company just decided to raise its starting salary for first-year drivers. NTD's Jason Perry has the details. Walmart, one of the few companies that runs its own trucking fleet, is making major changes to strengthen its supply chain. One of those changes is raising the average starting salary for first-year drivers to a range of $95,000 up to $110,000 per year. Demand for driver and demand for a qualified, experienced driver is increased so much that six figures is not out of the ordinary. John Esparza is the president and CEO of the Texas Trucking Association, which according to its website, serves as the unified voice for the trucking industry in Texas. He explained that as a generation of truck drivers have retired, companies haven't been doing enough to attract the next generations into trucking. And Walmart appears to be doing something about that by trying to hire Walmart supply chain workers to become truck drivers. But it could be risky for an inexperienced truck driver to handle an 80,000-pound vehicle. They're going to mitigate risk by ensuring their education of those drivers goes up. Their mentorship of their drivers continues to be a focus. That is the best way to mitigate risk. The median pay in 2020 for heavy truck and tractor trailer drivers was $47,000, according to the latest Bureau of Labor Statistics data, which is about half the new starting salary for a Walmart truck driver. Jason Perry, NTD News. And Tesla's new factory in Austin, Texas, is officially open. At the grand opening last night, CEO Elon Musk teased about new products and talked about how massive the building is. He said if you put the building on its side, it's taller than the tallest building in the world. He also joked, according to Tesla's calculations, 
You could fit 194 billion hamsters inside the building. Don't know why hamsters. The new products he talked about include a cyber truck, a futuristic-looking robo-taxi, and the Tesla bot called Optimus. Production of Optimus could start as early as next year. So Elon Musk is expanding EV production in the States, but China still dominates production of all the minerals that go into EV batteries. So what's Congress going to do about it? With us, with the answer, hopefully, is NTD's Washington correspondent, Melina Wisecup. Melina, happy Friday. Happy Friday, Paul. Good to see you. Thanks for sticking with us. I know the weather's pretty good up there in D.C. today. <laughs> Melina, yeah. what's the latest on the breaking China's grip on rare earth metals? Well, this week, the Senate did have a hearing about this and invited some clean energy companies in to kind of testify about this. So we know that President Biden has recently invoked the Defense Production Act as a way to kind of encourage more production of those rare earth minerals here in the U.S. But as many in the clean energy market know, there's more pieces to the puzzle um, to kind of produce Inter, uh, clean energy products here in the U.S. So this week we heard from Senator Joe Manchin, who chairs the Natural Resources Committee. So he mentioned that one problem still facing the U.S. is the fact that when miners go to mine for these rare earth minerals, oftentimes environmental groups are blocking them with lawsuits, which, which could delay the process up to 10 years. But then mining for minerals is only one piece of the puzzle. One of the executive directors at one clean energy firm says that another issue is the fact that no matter where those minerals are produced, the majority of them still have to be exported to China to be processed. So one thing lawmakers are trying to do is figure out a way to sort of um, not only mine for minerals in the U.S., but also process them here as well. I'm looking at your notes here. Do we also rely on China and Russia for nuclear energy? Yes. Yeah, so that's something that some senators are very concerned about. This, um, So Russia and China currently dominate the nuclear energy market. And currently, we do rely on Russia for nuclear energy. So there was two senators, one Republican and one Democrat, Senator Reich and Senator Manchin, who introduced a bill to um, kind of move away from that, to get on a path to where the U.S. could kind of take more of a stance and produce more nuclear energy here. So we'll see how that goes. How long is it going to take to see some progress? It's hard to say, Paul, because as we know, with any piece of legislation, it takes quite a bit of time to get it through both chambers of Congress to get all members on board with it. One thing that I will say is that from congressional leadership, I haven't seen a strong push. It doesn't seem like this has been a top priority for them. They haven't brought anything related to clean energy or nuclear energy to the floor. So it's unclear whether or not this is a key priority for uh, congressional leadership, at least right now. So it's unclear when we'll see some action on this. We see a lot of polarization there in D.C. Is there a way to get bipartisan support on these things? Yeah, Paul, I think actually one thing that's quite interesting is lately we're seeing a shift in how Republicans are are approaching the clean energy argument. I think many of them don't want to be labeled as anti-climate or against clean energy. So many of them, when they, Republicans, when they do talk about clean energy now, they're saying they're not opposed to producing clean energy products. They're only opposed to relying on foreign adversaries like China and Russia, for example, to get those products. So I think if we do see congressional leadership bring a bill to the floor that simply encourages the production of clean energy, 
products here in the U.S., I think that's something that we could see uh, at least a little or strong even bipartisan support for. Something to watch. Melina Weiskup, NTD's Washington correspondent. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. Thanks. You too, Paul. And the Justice Department said yesterday that a Chinese national who worked in the United States has been sentenced to 29 months in prison for conspiring to stale, steal trade secrets. 44-year-old Shang Hai To, who worked for agricultural company Monsanto, pleaded guilty to the charge in January. A DOJ assistant attorney general said Shang conspired to steal an important trade secret to gain an unfair advantage for himself and the People's Republic of China. The prison sentence will be followed by another three years of supervised release. Shang has also to pay a $150,000 fine. And amid Shanghai's now indefinite lockdown, residents are struggling to get food. Even a Chinese billionaire in Shanghai says she's facing difficulties getting the food she needs. Dries Don Ma has the story. Can any neighbor introduce me to the bread buying group? My family has a lot of people. We need bread and milk. This was the message for help Chinese billionaire Kathy Shishin wrote on Chinese social media. She's among Forbes' top venture capitalists in the world. She lives in a high-end villa in Shanghai, and even she's having a hard time getting what she needs. Many residents are struggling to get food as they're not allowed to leave home amid the lockdown. A number of locals told us over the phone that they are seriously short on supplies. Firstly, I can't order food delivery. And secondly, even if I order food delivery, I have no way to go pick it up right now. As a result, I now have nothing. No water, no fruit. I have only one or two containers of yogurt left, and that's only because I bought it before the lockdown started. I don't have any food at home. I called community authorities and said, you didn't tell us before you locked the community down, and now I don't have food at home. He said, no food? Solve it yourself if you don't have food. Riots have even erupted in Shanghai because people are starving. On Chinese social media platform Weibo, the hashtag Shanghai scrambling for food has been viewed over 1.4 billion times with the majority of netizens expressing discontent under the hashtag. Shanghai is the richest city in China by per capita income. One netizen wrote on Weibo, this is outrageous. A cosmopolitan city in 2022 is experiencing a famine. So why aren't locals getting enough food? One possible reason is there isn't enough personnel to help deliver food to a city of 25 million. Footage shows mountains of food just rotting in markets because no one is delivering it. Don Ma, NTD News. Incredible scenes. And back to Wall Street where stocks ended a little mixed today. The Dow rose 138 points, four tenths of a percent, but the S&P lost 12 points, three tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq lost 186 points, one and three tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury yield hit a three-year high of 2.73%. Rate-sensitive lenders like J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citigroup and Goldman Sachs all gaining on the news. And U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said on Thursday that crypto asset regulations should support responsible innovation while managing risks. Matches a recent White House executive order that was well-received by the crypto market. In a speech on digital assets policy, Yellen said that in many cases, regulators already have authorities that can manage crypto risks, 
That includes appropriate oversight of new types of intermediaries, such as digital asset exchanges. Our regulatory frameworks should be designed to support responsible innovation while managing risks, and especially those that could disrupt the financial system and the economy. Yellen also said that wherever possible, regulation should be, quote, tech neutral. That regulation should be guided by risks to households and businesses, not the underlying technology. With blockchain, entries are made on a distributed ledger rather than a central ledger like a balance sheet. Biden's executive order requires the Treasury and the Commerce Departments and other agencies to prepare reports on, quote, the future of money and the role cryptocurrencies will play. And over in Russia, the ruble surged to a five-month high today after Russia cut its interest rate. In February, it raised the key rate all the way to 20% in response to Western sanctions over invading Ukraine. But now it's bringing it down by 300 basis points to 17%. And the fake quarter has more on why Russia is reducing the rate now. Russia has cut its interest rate from 20% down to 17%. Their efforts to stabilize their financial situation seem to be having an effect. Russia had raised its interest rate from 9.5% all the way to 20% to fight inflation. The best way to prevent that is, one, limit the amount of money people can take out, or two, give them a big reward for keeping their money right there safe in the bank. Nicholas Creel is a business professor at Georgia College and State University. Creel says the 3% decrease is a huge cut. The Bank of Russia says annual inflation will continue to rise, but that the latest weekly data point to a noticeable slowdown. The increase in the interest rates, the fact that the sanctions are not as strong as people feared they would be, and the fact that the Russians are still able to sell large amounts of oil and gas have uh, all together caused the ruble to go back up in value. Chuck DeVore is a vice president at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. DeVore says cutting rates creates economic growth but allows for inflation at the same time. They have gold as a major portion of their reserves. It's a currency that's recognized worldwide. And in this conflict between East and West, it's paper dollars versus gold. William Stack is the owner of Stack Financial Services. Stack says Russia bought gold at 5,000 rubles per gram from credit institutions, which also helped with inflation. They ended that policy on Thursday as the ruble rebounded. Bay Quarter, NTD News. And Japan said today it's going to ban coal imports from Russia, along with a series of other sanctions. Japan is the world's third largest coal importer. And this follows similar moves by the United States and European Union. Meanwhile, coal importers are scrambling to find alternative supplies that won't be easy. Top exporters like Australia and Indonesia have already hit production limits. Major producer South Africa is constrained by logistical problems. One South African supplier says it's received numerous requests from European countries wanting to sign supply contracts. Other Australian companies also said they've been approached by prospective customers. Expected Russia is likely to keep global coal prices elevated. Palladium rose 11% today after a London trade group suspended trading in the metal from Russia over Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Palladium hit the highest level since March 25th. It's used to make catalytic converters in cars. Around 40% of primary palladium supply items come from Russia, according to one analyst from Standard Chartered. 
For the rest of the year, around 1.8 million ounces of primary production may be at risk. That's more than a quarter of the world's annual supply. Another analyst at TD Security says the market is worried that we're going to have an even more scarce market than before. And thousands of Russian auto workers have been furloughed. Western sanctions are pummeling the small Russian city of Kogla and its foreign car makers. More sanctions are likely to come. And the Andrew Thomas is more. Western sanctions over Russia's invasion of Ukraine have exacerbated lingering component shortages and have halted production at two flagship car plants, Germany's Volkswagen and Sweden's Volvo. The only question everybody has is, when can we start working again? The uncertainty has people worried. We've had downtime for weeks. We hope we can return to work as soon as possible, and then everyone will have confidence in the future again. A third factory, the PSMA Rust plant, may halt production soon due to a lack of parts. The supply chain is disrupted, so we don't have the components to produce cars. The reason is well known, the unstable political situation in the world. That's why we can't produce cars, because of the lack of components. The U.S. and Europe are weighing more sanctions against Russia after Ukraine accused Russian forces of killing civilians in northern Ukraine, where a mass grave was found in Busha, outside Kyiv. And more sanctions may be necessary before additional Russian businesses feel the impact. The demand for servicing cars is good. We have enough parts, and cars are being repaired. As for sales, I can't say everything is good. But we do our best. We are selling, and we do have cars here. Some factories had cut output last year due to disruptions caused by the pandemic. But sanctions have caused even more problems. We have had furloughs at the factory, and there were problems with component supplies, with chips. Now, of course, the situation is different, more serious. But anyway, we are waiting and not losing hope. Kaluga residents are struggling with inflation and rising prices. But some, like 86-year-old Vera Ivanova, have been through this before. First of all, prices went up immediately. The government says it's not their fault, but the suppliers' fault. Or not suppliers, but the stores, the retailers' fault. We don't care whose fault it is, but we need to eat and drink. Don't worry, dear, we will survive. I lived through a war as a child. I was five. And now I'm living through a war in my old age. Kaluga also boasts production by pharmaceutical and food companies, as well as a Samsung TV factory. And some find optimism in the fact that almost every crisis that has ravaged the Russian economy over the past two decades has been followed by a boom. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And still to come, stay with us. The first private astronaut mission to the International Space Station launches today. How long will they stay there? And Taiwanese puppeteers create NFTs of the puppets they use in their long-running TV show. They're trying to diversify their revenue stream. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. A historic mission to the International Space Station is underway. A SpaceX rocket carrying three paying customers and a former NASA astronaut lifted off from Florida's Kennedy Space Center this morning. It's all in line with the U.S. government and the private sector's goal to promote commercial activity in space. The crew will spend eight days in the ISS conducting scientific research, outreach and commercial activities. It's not the first time non-astronauts have visited the ISS, but it is the first mission to include a crew of private citizens who will travel to the ISS on a U.S.-made spacecraft. And a meme of Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars is now a crypto coin or a meme coin. It's called Will Smith Inu. Meme coins are cryptocurrencies that are linked to an internet meme that's gone viral. Many meme coins tend to rapidly rise in value but then fall in value just as fast. Some do maintain their value over time. The Will Smith Inu coin reached $3 million in trading but fell back to nearly nothing within a week. Meme coins started around 2013 when two software engineers created Dogecoin as a cryptocurrency based on the meme of a talking Shiba Inu named Doge. And by the way, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists just banned Will Smith from attending all Academy events, including the Oscars, for the next 10 years. And how about NFTs inspired by puppets? Taiwan's longest-running traditional puppet television show is creating NFTs. They want to bring their art form into a new modern audience and create a fresh income stream while they're at it. Introduce Andrew Thomas as more. NFTs are crypto assets representing a digital item such as an image, video, or even land in virtual worlds. Pili International Multimedia makes films with puppets at its studio in central Taiwan's Yunlin County and says it wants to be a pioneer in using NFTs as another source of revenue. I think the main reason for getting into the metaverse, into NFTs, is that we want to find a new revenue source for Pili, a steady income stream. Even more importantly, the sort of imagination everyone now has for the online world is developing so fast we almost can't grasp it. So we think that instead of sitting on the sidelines, the best approach is to jump right in. Pili has thousands of glove puppet characters, a traditional part of Taiwanese street entertainment culture. Pili said four of their puppet characters were made into digital versions, and more than 30,000 of these have been sold as NFTs since their listing in early February. Once the collectors have a certain number of Pili NFTs, they will naturally want to understand the stories and content behind those characters. At that time, we only have to place our episodes on a platform the collectors will have access to. I think there's a big opportunity for brand exposure. Pili says each NFT costs $40, which translates to generated revenue of at least $1.2 million. The company is now working on transforming up to 50 other puppet characters into NFTs in the next two years, and potentially another million-dollar revenue stream for the studio. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. We end this week with some entertainment news. In Michael Bay's latest film, The Action Scenes, use more real cops than actors. Here's more in today's Hollywood Minute. Lock everything down. We're just trying to get home. When the stars of director Michael Bay's ambulance go on the run, most of the people chasing them are not actors. I had 52 real LAPD. 
So we had real snipers, real SWAT, real uh, undercover, real tactical teams. There's only a few actors mixed in there. Ambulance is now in theaters. Laura Dern is hitting the road. The Oscar and Emmy winner is set to star in Lonely Planet, described as a love story set in Morocco. Susanna Grant is writing and directing the film for Netflix. We don't talk about Bruno, no, no, no. Yes, we're still talking about We Don't Talk About Bruno. The earworm song from the Oscar-winning film Encanto now tops Billboard's all-time chart of Disney songs, surpassing such classics as Can You Feel the Love Tonight from The Lion King and Let It Go from Frozen. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graining. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, that's all for this week. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday.